This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. You're listening to Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access radio station. And I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawke's Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society T.R. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the Bay. With me in the studio is George Spears, a Hawke's Bay-based agribusiness consultant. He lives in Napier. In September 2022, I interviewed George, and it was apparent that the interview hardly touched the tip of his iceberg filled with consultancy stories. There are indeed many years of anecdotes that George Spears can look back on. Our last interview did not allow time for too many of them, so we're going to add in a few more today. Welcome back to Hawke's Bay Scientist on Air, George Spears. Good morning. Good. Lovely to have you in the studio with us once again. Let's start with a couple of stories about Papua New Guinea. Now, we touched on this in your former interview, uh, but why were you in Papua New Guinea looking at a banana plantation, George? Okay, so I've been going up to Papua New Guinea for a number of years under the business mentoring program, and um, was engaged in helping a number of agricultural projects develop and further enhance their crops. And in this instance, I was visiting a banana plantation quite some distance up into the jungle areas of Papua New Guinea. And um, I was there for the purpose of actually establishing whether the soils were suitable for other crop diversification and also what the disease status is or was of that particular plantation. Okay, so do they grow lots of bananas up there? I, yes, I really yes, don't they know do. much about their fruit and veggies up there. Yeah, a lot of tropical crops up there, and a lot of bananas. Is it very dense, the the vegetation around where they were planting these bananas? I always like to think of, in my mind, Papua New Guinea being hilly and covered in lots of trees. Is it like that, or is that just my head? No, it's not really like that. In parts of Papua New Guinea, it's, it, there's a lot of jungle, and uh, a lot of the agricultural areas have been cut out of the jungle. Okay, all right. So that's where the bananas were? They're correct, yeah. All right. Do they grow the short, chubby bananas like we get, say, from the islands, or do they grow more the length of the Ecuadorian bananas? They were the longer bananas. Long ones. Yes. Okay. In well, this instance, they were anyway. Oh, in this instance. Okay. So you go up to this plantation. What happens? So hop onto a very old uh, jeep with a couple of uh, local Papua New Guineans. Uh, language was a problem, and uh, we set out across some very muddy tracks through the jungle to this uh, banana plantation, and uh, we arrived at the banana plantation. Uh, the jeep was virtually stuck in the mud, 
But uh, I jumped out while they got rid of, well, got the jeep out of the mud. I jumped out and started walking through the banana plantation. I was approximately uh, 7,500 metres into the plantation when I heard the shouting coming from the jeep. A little bewildered as to what was happening, I didn't really understand the language that they were shouting. They were speaking pidgin, pidgin English that is, and uh, I have a, a, a rough understanding of pidgin English, but not a, a thorough understanding. But I did hear the word snake come out. That would just totally freak me out, George. I'm, yeah. I'm not, not in love with snakes. No, nor am I. Um, but not being able to understand the language, I couldn't understand the severity of it. But there was an awful lot of shouting and waving gesticulations going on. Um, and I eventually worked out that I was call, being called back to the jeep. So with a little bit of fear and trepidation, I sort of turned around and walked back to the jeep, wondering where I was going to meet up with the, with snake, the snake or the snakes. Um, I've I got to the jeep and I wasn't in, in, uh, I didn't see any of the snakes that they were referring to, but they pointed out to me I wasn't I was wearing shorts and I didn't have my snake boots on and I was very vulnerable and uh, a little bit more of a conversation in the jeep turned out that they had or I had walked through. Uh, a nesting area of Papa Black, which is evidently a very dangerous snake of, um, I gather, you've got about 30 minutes to get an antidote. And as I was some two hours' drive from Port Moresby, that wasn't going to happen. And they explained to me they didn't have antidote in the Jeep. So I sat there, heart beating, and thought, yeah. right, that's my banana inspection yep, yep. finished. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, I mean, you're looking back on it, you've got a big smile on your face, yeah. but it would not have been at all funny at the time. And those poor people, they would be guiding you, yeah. and you were there for scientific purposes, yes, and, yes. and you'd really messed up the day, and Absolutely. you hadn't even started. I hadn't you? even started, and no. I didn't finish on that day. I went back another day. <laughs> <Were you? laughs> I should think so very bravely yes. <laughs> from head to foot yeah, with, with yeah. armour on were yeah. you working with the university or who were you working with on, on this uh, yes. project there were, I was working with a number of people including the university oh, okay. yes. yes. and what were you looking for specifically with these bananas these bananas um, there is a, a viral disease that they can get and it's it's quite um, it's, it's pretty fatal to the banana unless it's properly sprayed and I was looking at the um, how the spray was getting into the banana plantations and the spray equipment. Uh, could it reach to the top of the banana plantation because that's where you've got to get the spray. You can't. So all the equipment has to be up to scratch. It's got to be specifically designed in order to get the spray right up into the bananas themselves. And what about the quality of the fruit? Were you there to judge any of that, or was that not really what your job was? Yes, yes and no. Um, it, there are various different levels of um, production and quality control 
their quality control is quite difficult in a tropical country where you've got to get the field heat out of the banana or out of any of the tropical fruit very quickly, otherwise it goes off. Yes, it gets I can rocks imagine that. Yeah. So the fruit was, was getting to market only just, but with a 20-30% uh, wastage uh, of it, not, not, not getting to cooling stage early enough. Okay. Um, so we were looking at, at ways of improving that, getting it cooled quicker, getting it to market quicker, and basically extending its shelf life. Further down the track, uh, we were looking towards longer term being able to export but that was some distance away. Okay, so all those kinds of things were the sorts of mentoring that you were yes, doing in great. that particular in that area. particular case, yes. On another occasion when you were at Papua New Guinea after a long day's slog, you decided to take yourself off to the movies. I quite like this wee story, and it's got nothing whatsoever to do with science, has it? However... It's just an appealing story. So how about you tell us, off you go to Port Moresby, you are there, you're going to the movie theatre. What advice were you given? Okay, so just to go back a little bit, we weren't really going to Papua New Guinea to go to the movies. (laughs) But what had actually happened on another particular project, um, I I got a call in the morning to say that there was a gunfight on the road to the project. It was quite dangerous. And if I didn't mind, they weren't going to come in and get me. And could I find something to do to amuse myself for the day? So somewhat um, happily said yes. And uh, I didn't really want to go out to a project and get through a gunfight no. and all the rest of it. And there's plenty of gunfights going on out there. So um, went downtown in the afternoon to th- and wandered through a mall. And in the mall was a movie theatre. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder what sort of movies they have and something worthwhile going to. Wandered up to the door of the movie theatre to have a look at the movie theatre inside and things and um, noticed on the door this sign, big sign on the door. Read the sign, I thought, oh my God. It had no guns, no knives and no hand grenades. Or sharp objects. Or sharp objects allowed inside. (laughs) So I retreated and went back down to the to the ticketing office where there is a, a nice young gentleman there and asked him, what's the purpose of all of this? And he explained that it's actually a new movie theatre. The old one had been burnt down a number of years ago and they, the cause of the burn down was the fact that they were showing a John Wayne Western and the Papua New Guinean audience had taken in guns, knives and hand grenades to join in the fight on the screen. And the hand grenades burnt the screen and the screen fire burnt to the whole of the building down. So now you're not allowed to take your guns, knives and hand grenades into a movie theatre. I just think that is so funny. And we we in New Zealand, you pay extra to Mm. dress up to participate with the film, don't you? And I guess the Rocky Horror Show one is one of the (laughs) the most famous where where you take rice and water pistols and whatever. But I must confess, I've never ever thought of taking knives, guns, hand grenades and sharp objects to participate in a movie film. yeah, I know. You didn't it's go amazing. to the movies, though, did you? No, no. no we decided sorry that. that. Uh, <laughs> so no movies, and oh. uh, that plantation was put off for another day. Um, when they assured me, when I went back, they assured me that the the Papa Black Snakes were had moved on. Oh, that's good. 
Oh, I had no idea whether that was true relieved or not. About that. I was just going to say, you may or may not believe them. However, yeah. it's a good thing to absolutely assure you of. We're going to pop across to China. It's a bit yeah. of a leap across there, but there's a few really super stories that I want to try and get into the interview today. We'll only get a couple of them, but they're worth trying to get in if we can. One particular one that I really like is when you are up the Yellow River and you were looking at soils on the alluvial plains up there. What? Why were you doing that? So a totally different sort of project altogether. We were looking at diversification for the local farmers on the Yellow River floodplains. And the, the reason for that was that Chinese agriculture is very traditional. And I was seen as somebody who had uh, worked in agriculture around the world and had ideas that might be able to enhance the local economy. So the purpose of going up to that area um, was to have a look, to see what uh, could be done. But to do that, I needed to get soil samples to bring back and have it analysed. That's just part of agricultural development. And um, it's best to get soil samples analysed in New Zealand uh, rather than in China. Uh, We can have the soils um, analysed the soils analysed to a, to a deeper level here with our science. So I had all the necessary permits and uh, things to bring soil back to New Zealand. The Chinese are very hospitable. Yes. They are, yes. aren't they? And very. they look after us. When you're in China, they look after yes. you very, very well. Yeah. And really to the best that they possibly can. They They, do. You get thoroughly spoiled. You told me at night they put on a a special banquet with very different, shall we say, local feast for you to participate in. What were some of the delicacies that you had on offer for you at that banquet that night? Well, um, some of the delicacies I possibly shouldn't mention on air. Or do you think I can? I think you can. I think we're big girls now. Okay, so the the first delicacy we were a little unsure of, um, and we asked the interpreter, what was this long, snaky thing on the plate? Very thin. And um, she said it was a bull's penis. Uh, We looked at her, and I looked at my mate, and um, my mate said to her... um, are you sure? It's very small. And as quick as a flash, the interpreter came back and said, well, yours will be too if you're about to have your throat cut. And at that point, we cracked up. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we could not carry on the conversation anymore. No, there's nothing left to say, is there, after, well, after a comment like that? Yeah. Except perhaps to move on to the next wee delicacy. So what was the next wee delicacy? The next course at this banquet were, were um, scorpions, scorpions. And they were beautifully arranged around the outside of the plate with all the stingers curled up over their backs, just like you see them in the movies. And... Um, they are a real delicacy, and it was a real honour that they'd put on scorpions for us. You didn't but eat them, though, did you, George? I wasn't going to, no. And um, so, as I had done on previous trips and occasions, I managed to put most of them through down my jacket sleeve and later on into my jacket pocket. So that was fine. 
The next day I flew back to New Zealand and with my soil samples and arrived at the Christchurch airport and um, I had all the paperwork for the soil, that was good. Um, and the customs person said to me, have you got anything else? And as you do, you say no, um, being very conscious of not bringing anything back. Um, said no and uh, put my hands in my pockets and threw, uh, threw out my handkerchiefs, etc. And out came a whole lot of scorpions, all crunched up. I nearly fainted, as did the customs officer. And she said to me, um, are these scorpions? And I said, yes, but they're dead. <laughs> she said, um, that isn't the point. And she went away and got her boss, who came in with cameras and all the rest of it. And I thought, I was in big trouble here. So long and the short of it all was, I completely mm. emptied my clothing of all remnants of scorpions. And um, they let me off the fine. And they put me on the first plane back to Napier. So with, without my soil, I might add, despite having all the permits, they wouldn't let me bring the soil in. Um, they needed to go and check it themselves, which they duly did, and I received it later on. So the analysis was, went ahead, and we went ahead with the project. You'd yeah. be very careful of scorpions on other occasions, would you not? Oh, yes. And perhaps just pass on them. Uh, and I think you can it's, learn to politely do that. But it's very difficult sometimes because it was a great delicacy and they had gone to great effort to put this on and on the banquet. And you have to be gracious. You do. And um, Because it, it other is, people wouldn't get that honour of having yeah. something as delicate. I know. I know. And, and it's just a different place and a different time and a different way of doing things. Yes. But it's naughty of you to try and sneak them into the country, George. Oh, I well, want to go back to China on another trip when you were there meeting with the local Ministry of Agriculture. And a chap that you were talking to wanted to buy human hair. Now, we hear of people wanting to buy human hair, but usually for wigs or artificial hair, pieces of some kind or other. That's not what this man was doing, was it? No. So th this, this, um, this gentleman, um, he took the human hair, obviously from China, which is mostly black, and he stripped the protein out of the hair and he put it into stock food. Now, that was great, and he saw an opportunity for um, me to be able to go back to New Zealand and uh, come to some arrangement with all the local barbers around the country to supply him with human hair. So the long and the short of it all was, um, I said, well, look, I would make some inquiries. So that, that obviously didn't eventuate. Um, no one was interested in participating, and a couple of years later, or a year back, Later on, um, I was back up in that same area of China again, and he came to see me. And this time he asked um, how it was, and I explained to him. And he produced this can, um, aerosol can, and he said, would you take this back and um, have a try? So later on, I took it back to New Zealand, and um, I had all the writing on it interpreted for me, and the actual contents of the can aerosol you spray on your head and it makes the hair grow 
And obviously the purpose of this was to make the New Zealand hair grow so he could buy it and um, strip the protein out of it. And he makes the money on the way through by setting the contents of the aerosol cans. And I could see containers of these aerosol cans turning up. Anyway, the next thing that happened, I was uh, I put the can in my car in the glove box and um, forgot about it. And some months later, I was in Wellington, uh, caught a plane down to Invercargill for the day to do a job down there, came back to find that the can had exploded in the heat, blown the front off the glove box, and the contents, which was sticky, gooey, smelly stuff, had sprayed all over the inside of the car. I couldn't get in the car. The smell was appalling. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know what we're going to do about the car, but thank God no one in New Zealand is buying this stuff to spray on their hair. So that, that poor gentleman ended up by not getting any further. We're, we're, yeah. we're going to run out of time, I know, yeah. here, but I quickly want to try and get in the story of grape growing in China and how we can get something very basic so very wrong. So you were over there, a huge area of vines having been planted, and visiting along, you were asked to try one of these local red wines, yes. about 10 years old, yes. purportedly. The wine was wasn't very nice, and um, and I looked at the wine and I looked where it had come from, and things didn't match up, and I couldn't fathom out why the wine was it was basically green as being very young, yet it was ten years old. So we investigated further, and to to to, to cut a long story short, discovered that the wine was labelled as to the year the grapes were planted, not yeah. the year the grapes were harvested. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. They got that one thing so very, very wrong. They had everything else right. Yeah. But the very end, just before the point of sale, was wrong. Yeah. But it was a genuine mistake, and um, it was so easy to fix. Yeah. It just shows you, though, how when you're selling a concept or an idea to a different country, a different people, mm. a different culture, mm. how you, if you just leave that one thing mm. out, how you can really mess it up. Mm. So uh, wine growing around the world has been going on for thousands of years. Yes. But in China it's very new. Yeah. And they're course. learning. They are learning. And that's and part of the learning. And they made a terrible mistake. Yeah, just yes. part of the journey. Tell me about your idea of the sister city concept per se. Does it work in my opinion, yes, because yes. it builds trust, and from from there you can go on and do trade. And the the trust in China, the trust has to come first. The sister city is the vehicle for developing trust between two different cultures, and then trade can evolve from there. And we have proved it time and time again. We have, haven't yes, we? You, we have. you told me on one visit how you'd gone to China with 22 opportunities yes. to look at, maybe, yes. over there. Um, you came back to New Zealand with 12 possibilities. Yes. And then from that, you would expect maybe only one, two or three of those possibilities to yes. actually come to fruition. Yes. So it's an awful lot of work that goes into having a success. Yes, we worked on around about 3 to 5% success. But from, from small beginnings, things grow. Yeah, yeah, they do. I, I want to 
just briefly make a, a comment because we have run out of time about bringing a delegation to Napier, a, a group of Chinese persons who had never seen the sun and never seen the stars. How sad is that, George? That is very That's sad. That's pollution, isn't that it? That is pollution. And in the 15 or 18, 20 years I've been going to China, I have never seen the sun myself and I've never seen the stars. Yeah, so that that was just something that they would have gone back full of yeah. awe and yes. with wonderful stories yes. themselves yes. to tell about yes. the difference. They stood in the Napier airport at night when the flight arrived and looking up at the sky and they were looking at the stars. And the next day when I p- picked them up at the hotel in Napier, they were standing outside and they're looking at the sun. For the first time. For the first time ever. We can't understand that can we no and these were people in their 40s and 50 years of age yeah never never seen it i know thank you george spears agribusiness consultant registered valuer and accredited business mentor thank you for being my guest once again on hawks bay scientists on air george has got a wealth of experience and as you would have told from the interview today lots and lots of stories to tell us he's a fan of the sister city relationship or some people call it twin city relationships and many of us will now understand why please join me every monday morning at 9 30 to meet another practicing or recently retired scientist from around the bay i'm lynn traffic and there may be many others but they haven't been discovered Uh,